0: listening to the pursuit with your host, Rudy J. Welcome to The Pursuit, your guide to happy healthy living. I'm your host, Rudy J, and I am here to help navigate your health journeys. So welcome back. The platform has been updated. It's been changed. Things have shifted. But don't worry, I have kept the heart of my mission strong in these episodes, in this branding, and in everything that we've changed. So obviously things are a little different. The biggest shift between the content I'm sharing now is just going to be that I'm opening up the spectrum of health to include all areas of health. So skincare, hormonal health, we're going to talk more about food. Yes, we'll keep in some fitness, some physical forms of health, absolutely mental health, all of that stuff. So I'm really excited. I just wanted to separate a little from specifically talking about yoga, and I wanted to help myself stand out a little bit more so that people know when they're tuning into this podcast that they don't have to be yoga teachers or fitness professionals to benefit from this content. So I'm really excited. This is the first of many incredible conversations. So let's dive in. Today, we're talking with Nick St. Louis. He's an Ottawa-based physical therapist who, after completing his BSc in biology and his Master's of Physical Therapy at the University of Western Ontario, returned to Ottawa where he co-founded his clinic, Optimized Physiotherapy. Nick's mission was to break the conventional module of treating patients' symptoms, and instead, he uses movement, mobility, and strength training as a way to promote healing. Nick is the chief foot nerd at The Foot Collective. A group of Canadian physical therapists on a mission to help humans reclaim strong, functional, and pain free feet through foot health education. TFC aims to empower people with the knowledge they need to protect their feet from the dangers of modern footwear and to guide individuals to fix their own feet. Such an incredible conversation. Nick and I talk about his journey, why he found some holes in the practice of physical therapy, the traditional sense. He talks about non traditional healing modalities how to start your own business, some of those struggles when he started out. We talk about what optimal footwear actually is, where you can get it in the city here in Ottawa, if you're tuning in. We talk about his approach, his movement-based approach to healing. And the underlying message in this conversation to me really felt like empowering yourself to be healthy, to you know fix or diagnose whatever is going on in your body and really bringing it back to the patient, quote unquote, so to speak. And that really just allows us to take control of what we're doing in our daily lives and empowering us to make changes to some of these ailments. So this was a really great conversation. Nick is an awesome human. He talks a little bit about you know his healthy habits, how he manages traveling and being so busy. And he talks about starting his own business and then We talk about a lot more great stuff. We dig in. There's a couple of resources that you can find online. I'll link everything up below this episode. So again, thank you guys so much for tuning in. Let's dive into this episode with Nick St. Louis. Nick, welcome to the Pursuit of Yoginess. How are you?
1: Good, Rudy. Thanks for having me on.
0: I'm super excited to pick your brain. The foot phenomenon is strong right now. So let's, yeah, let's take it back a little bit. And how about you share your fitness journey and how things kind of evolved and got you to where you are today?
1: I'm a physical therapist. I graduated physio school uh, from Western University in 2013. After that, I went on, I did a sport fellowship. So I work with a hockey team and That let me work with a really, really interesting mentor that took um, a much more functional and kind of practical approach to treating people instead of using all the tools that they teach you in physio school, which looking back are very antiquated and old and ineffective. So after that, moved back to Ottawa, which is my hometown, Uh, myself and my business partner, Mike Govero, opened up a physiotherapy clinic here because we found that the way that we had kind of learned that was effective to treat people, which was learned more through self-discovery than through traditional school. It was very hard to practice that way in traditional practice where you have to see four patients an hour and it's really not conducive to treating with a movement approach. It's more of a passive modality approach where it's ultrasound, stim, quick little session with each person. And it's kind of ridiculous, the fact that that actually exists. So we started the physio clinic and being able to spend more time with people, we really started to take a keen interest in foot function because we realized that a lot of the treatment currently that's being done to treat foot dysfunction like orthotics or supportive footwear is really the least effective way to help an issue at the foot. And in fact, a lot of times it makes it harder to actually correct the problem. So we kind of saw it as a big problem. We started to kind of look into feet a little bit more, look at look at everyone's feet that came into the clinic. And we quickly realized that everyone's feet are, me- everyone's feet are messed up, whether they have actual foot pain or not. And that's kind of you know, the Foot Collective starting that up um, on social media was essentially a way for me to practice getting better at explaining to people what they should be doing with their feet in as simple as possible terms, and it just kind of blew up from there, and and it caught us caught me a little bit off guard, to be honest. And now we're the whole selling footwear side of things came out pretty organically. We realized that fairly quick that we'd recommend us. You know, we never we never tell people what shoes to buy. We just kind of try and explain to them what. Features to look for in footwear, and very quickly realized that in Canada, these things are these types of shoes are extremely rare and hard to come by. So selling footwear was essentially something we were forced to do in order to give people better options. And uh, so now we have uh, the TFC shop site, and uh, and we're doing we're focusing more on the education seminars. So it's been a a pretty fun ride so far, and we have kind of a vision for where we want to go in the next three or four years, and uh, I think it'll be pretty exciting.
0: Amazing. So when you were in school, did you do any major focus on foot health or is that something that you have kind of, okay, you've just kind of learned as you guys were practicing?
1: Yeah, the foot was very much glanced over in school. Mm. You talk about the basics of it, but you know what you're actually taught in terms of foot treatment is the same thing as as like I was saying, very old, antiquated, and mm-hmm. it's, you know, stuff that was taught 30 years ago, which has no place being taught today because there's we now know there's better science, there's really smart people preaching a different way to approach foot health and um you know, the whole footwear problem is just not something that was talked about at all mm-hmm. and it was it wasn't even mentioned in school and that was almost one of the bigger triggers to starting up the Foot Collective and and educating people was that most shoes you can buy today are terrible for your feet. And no one seems to kind of make the connection between foot dysfunction. Everyone's trying to figure out the best way to treat bunions, but no one's talking about the the fact that the main reason they're even there is what you put on your feet all day. And that seemed to be under emphasized. It certainly wasn't emphasized whatsoever in school. And even in typical practice, like when I see patients that have had foot dysfunction or foot problems and even foot pain for like five years, no one has told them the shoes they they wear eight hours a day is the primary culprit. And so it was just like this very big light bulb moment where I was like, geez, there's no information out there. You know, there's no tangible information out there that people can learn independently on how to kind of fix their own issues. And that's really what TFC is about is teaching people how their machine works so that they can fix, fix themselves and not have to rely on this medical system that oftentimes leads people in these, you know, ineffective circular pathways where, they don't actually get results. So just giving people the the ability to take ownership of their own bodies by understanding how their body works, starting at the feet. And yeah, that's kind of our continued, it continues to be kind of our guiding light in terms of like, okay, should we do this? Well, I don't know. Is it going to help people fix their own problems? Yes. Okay. Then we should do this. So it's kind of like a core principle at TFC.
0: Mm -hmm, Amazing. And so you guys start up your own practice And what would you say the biggest difference is in how you function through your clinic and why I know you mentioned you didn't really want to follow the standard approach of seeing, you know, X amount of clients in one block of time. But what is the biggest difference in how you guys kind of run your own facility?
1: Yeah. Physio, especially in Ottawa, where there's so many federal government employees and everyone has health benefits. Physio in Ottawa is an extremely sad scene. And I think Mm. this, you know, speaking to uh, physical therapists through in the States, um, internationally and in Canada, it's very similar everywhere. And it's this very weird model of treating symptoms and body parts and not treating movement. Because if you, someone has knee pain and you treat their knee you basically never get results because the knee is usually never the problem. And so unless you treat the entire person and treat their movement dysfunction, you know, if they improve their movement, their symptoms go away. If you treat their symptoms, it doesn't improve the movement, which is the the root cause of why they're having knee problems in the first place. And so when you're looking at someone and you're taking a movement-based approach to treatment, it requires time. You have to interact with someone. You have to get an idea of, you have to get a snapshot of what they do with their bodies during the day and figure out, okay, what is the best approach for this person at this point in time in terms of letting them understand what they need to do at home and you know this whole ancient approach of a physical therapist seeing four patients in an hour is really a joke and it's and it's basically you know if you come into the physio industry with a primary motive of making a lot of money It is an extremely vulnerable industry to being to predation from from someone that's only profit minded. And I think you see some of the bigger chains in Ottawa, and that's exactly what they are. They're basically conveyor belts of you know, okay, how many benefits do you, how much money and benefits do you have, and how can we soak up every penny of that based on the injury that you have right now? And no one is, it sucks really. It's disappointing because people write off physio as ineffective, but what they're doing isn't really physio. right? It's called physical therapy because you're supposed to be physical while you're doing the therapy. And the, <laughs> the fact that 90% of the time people are in most physical therapy appointments, they're sitting on a bed or hooked up to some machine, really doesn't do it justice. So in our clinic, one of the first things we changed was you know, when you go get a physio appointment, you pay a certain amount of money for an assessment, and then you pay a certain amount of money for a follow-up. But the actual rate that you're paying per hour that you're spending with a physio are totally different, right? If you're paying $75 for 15 minutes, that equates to about 300 bucks an hour. Physio shouldn't be billing 300 bucks an hour. I know the physio themselves aren't making that. So we put our foot down and said, okay, listen, we're going to do an hourly billing rate. This is the rate that you pay for every hour that you talk to a physio. And then we give kind of these, you know, we said an assessment we find is good to be an hour and a follow up 40 minutes. And so we charge according to that hourly rate, and we only see one person at a time because you can't see five people or four people at a time and be effective. So that was the first thing we did. I think the approach that we take with movement, you know, we don't even have an ultrasound machine in our clinic because it's useless. It's a useless time filler modality that unfortunately is still taught in school. And if you actually take a, you know, a fairly cursory look at the research and use logic and rationality, you, you realize very quick ultrasound does nothing. You know, it, it not only does it not help the localized area of problems, but when you treat just the one area that has issues, you don't treat the actual problem. And so, you know, we have sport med docs in our clinic, too. So we're trying to kind of put everything under one roof. We have sport medicine. We have physio. We have a massage therapist. And now we have some trainers that we've basically doing what we do in physical therapy. And, and the line between training and, and building muscle or capacity and rehab is actually very blurry. The way that we see it, you know, if a 75 year old with shoulder pain comes into the clinic within a couple appointments, we usually have them holding a kettlebell upside down and walking around. Why? Because that's what that person needs to do to rediscover a stable shoulder position. And to the outside person coming in, they would think it looks we look more like personal trainers than we do physios. But I think that's where things need to go.
0: So you've touched on a little bit what the Foot Collective actually is. Can you kind of sum that up? What is the Foot Collective for the listeners who may not know? And how are you connected to that main mission personally?
1: TFC, its main mission is to help people understand their bodies starting at the feet. And that's kind of this base premise that we build everything off of. My personal connection to it, my biggest area of interest is developing our seminar. And so we've been going with the seminar for about since April of 2018, we've been teaching these things. I think March of 2018 was the first one that we taught. So progressing and developing, you know, every single seminar that we give, we end up changing several things in the manual. And I think we're on the eighth iteration of the of the manual right now because, you know, as we learn new things, our opinions change, right? If, if I teach something a certain way and someone in the seminar kind of comes out and says, well, why don't we try it? Well, have you ever tried it this way? And if I try it that way and it's better, I incorporate that. And so I think you, in a world of, uh, in the world of health and fitness, you have to never be afraid. You, you have to always prefer to to learn than to be right. And I think that's a big problem because someone develops something and then they preach that as the be all and end all for five years. And after six months, it's it's old, right? If you're not open-minded to learning and challenging your way of thinking, then you lose the ability to actually preach good, effective information. And so developing the seminar and getting it to a point where we're happy with it as a product that can really, really help people is kind of been my focus. And, you know, we're launching our foot nerd program in 2019 to help scale up and train other people to be able to deliver this information because now we're to a point where we can't even do, we can't meet the demand for the number of seminars that are being requested. So my focus now is that, but it all it all at its core it's an health education company that right now we're starting with the feet, but eventually we want to branch out to everything. The feet was just a, an area that we identified as being one of the biggest problems or the most problematic because of footwear because of the way that we're treating foot dysfunction right now, so yeah so and and you know the goal in the end is to have all this stuff be open source, to have all of our information be there for people to consume for free. Because I think being able to get good quality information about how to take care of your own body is a right. It's not something that you should have to pay an arm and a leg for. Although in order to build a company, unfortunately, you need money. So right now we have to charge for our seminars. But that's the goal is, is deliver as much value to people as possible and base it more on empowering them to understand their body and fix their own problems rather than creating a dependence where they have to learn from you or, or look at you as someone that knows everything. The first thing I say in our seminars is we don't claim to know everything about feet and we never will. Because as soon as you think you know everything, you lose the drive to learn. And, uh, you know, we reserve our right to change our mind tomorrow if we figure out a better way of doing something. So.
0: Mm-hmm. And that's super important. I'm curious, how long has uh, TFC actually been around? Like, how long did all of this take? And maybe if you could share some of the beginning stages in establishing yourself. So I think you mentioned that this kind of took off running pretty quickly for you, but maybe what were some of those challenges if you experienced any and, you know, gaining traction, exposure, what do you think helped grow you guys the most there?
1: I have obstacles and challenges every single day. So they haven't stopped. They've just become different. And I think not getting down and just being. Just having a motivation to persevere, even in the face of obstacles, because the, if something is super important and, you know, the way we see it, feet are super important, the footwear you put on your feet are super important. doesn't matter how hard it is to do, you should still do it. So I think persevering is is one of the biggest things that has gotten us to here. because if I stopped pursuing this, the first failure I had or the first major obstacle I had, I probably would have stopped doing this within about a month. So when it started, I'm not, I can't even remember when it started. So I know our first seminar was March, 2018. The online store opened up about a year ago in August, 2018. The Instagram started up a year before we opened the online store. So I, I kind of, made it a pact with myself saying, I'm going to work on building uh, an Instagram platform by just giving people quality information and posting regularly for one year before anything gets monetized, before I look at making money or, or, you know, putting up products or whatever it might be. Make that the focus, get her to get good at explaining to people in simple terms, how to take care of their feet, give them good information. And so I think it started, yeah, 20... 16, maybe the Instagram started. 2017, the store opened. 2018, we started doing seminars. So I think that's the trajectory. And really, it was just try and give people value. That's how you gain a following. You don't gain a following by trying to pretend like you know everything or putting out selfies every second day. You you get a following by putting out good information. And I think you know when you're coming at it from a, an honest perspective of just trying to give people information to help themselves. I think that resonates, and if you happen to hit the nail on the head and and provide information about something that's a big problem that people are hungry for information on something like foot health, then then that's kind of just a, a recipe for for getting more and more people to follow you. And and I, I it like I said, it kind of caught me off guard. I didn't think this many people would be interested in learning about feet, but I, I guess there's a need for it.
0: Did you establish some sort of like vision or plan for? what you wanted to do? Or was this like a natural evolution?
1: Yeah, a bit of both. I think you always have to have some sort of guiding principle. You know, my guiding principle is, you know, I have a post-it note literally on top of my desk says, you work for the people. So everything that we do is guided by not trying to make money. It's guided by, is this going to help other, is this going to give value to people? And that could be through a product that could be through a service that can be, through a post that helps them better understand how their feet are affecting their foot health, you know, whatever it is. There was kind of this, um, this kind of idea or vision for what this company can be, this foot health company. And I think it's kind of veered into different paths based on kind of what's happened since it first started. But the core of it is create a company that gives people really good products for a really good price and not only providing products, but, you know, TFC People come into the our Ottawa shop, and every, you know, our first bricks and mortar TFC location wasn't in, is in Ottawa. It's right. It's actually um, part of our clinic when we expanded in Riverside South, and it's twenty five percent footwear shop and seventy five percent big open movement area, and so it's an area that people come to to learn about their feet, and they just so happen to be able to purchase footwear to cover their feet with. But it's about the movement and learning more so than it is about the footwear, and it's always going to stay like that, and so that's kind of going to be this kind of core element as well is learn about your feet and then it doesn't matter what shoe you're looking at if it's a shoe that we sell at tfc shop you can guarantee it's a shoe that's on the better side in terms of foot health you know that meets these pretty stringent criteria you know we're never going to carry footwear that has a heel lift that has a narrow forefoot that has a thick cushion sole and so we're trying to be the people that can vet whether this is a good shoe or not, you never have to ask at our TFC shops because every shoe that's there is is we feel is is good for your foot and is foot healthy footwear.
0: And I have been there and all of my fitness friends, it's so funny. I like <laughs> wear my shoes and they're like, oh my God, where did you get those? And it's like nice. this, this this big thing. It's hilarious.
1: Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's tough. The footwear industry in Canada. Part of me was very shocked that no one in Canada carries some of these awesome brands that that we carry at TFC Shop. Mm -hmm. And then when I got into the footwear industry and started importing footwear and selling footwear, I quickly realized why no one does this. And it's because it's very hard in Canada to run a footwear company. Mm -hmm. You know, first off, the Canadian government takes a 25, 20 to 25% haircut on any shoes coming in, which is why we pay so much for friggin' shoes in Canada. And it's very frustrating.
0: I didn't know that.
1: Yeah, that's why. And not only that, but I'm forced by some of these brands to sell footwear at the price that they sell it for. Mm. So, you know, if it were up to me, we'd sell the shoes for cheaper. I'd, you know, I've been really trying to work hard to find a way to be able to sell the footwear for cheaper, but um, it's very tough. And that's why, you know, people come in and they say, well, well, you know, we love these shoes, but why are they so friggin' expensive? (laughs) And what I tell them is, you know, I wish I could make them cheaper. But when you, you know, if you buy a pair of shoes from Vivo Barefoot and it gets delivered from the US or the UK, usually, you know, some people s- scoop by and don't get the product doesn't go through customs and duties, but most of the time it does. And if you buy something, for example, if you buy a $250 pair of shoes, or let's say $200, $200 American pair of shoes, when you do the exchange, you're adding 25% to that. When it comes over the border, you're adding 20% plus an extra 10%, 20% tariff plus 10% brokerage fee. And, you know, on $200, that can be $80, which is shop pretty shocking <laughs>
0: mm-hmm.
1: because like tariffs are here you know the whole point behind a tariff or a duty is to protect a domestic industry no one in canada makes shoes so what the heck are we protecting <laughs> it doesn't make sense it's a little backwards it is it's very weird and everyone wears <laughs> shoes so mm-hmm. i mean that was a big thing that was a big realization it's like okay everyone has to wear shoes and it's very hard to get good shoes in Canada. So we got to address that.
0: <laughs> it actually is. That's so funny. And Now I'm thinking like every time my grandparents would go to the States, my mom would be like, get them to bring you back shoes, get shoes. I'm yes. like, what? Like, what? what's <laughs> the deal with the shoe thing? But it's true. And, and I always say to people when they ask me, I mean, it sounds similar, not only, you know, just investing in good quality shoes but also just your food and and you know how you're moving and stuff like that it's so it's just funny people are really quick to be like oh well, i can't afford that or that's ridiculously expensive and then they're going to go out to dinner like 3 days a week or they're going to like get their hair done or their nails done or you know what i mean and i'm like well it's your feet so invest in it so yeah i i can understand that they might be a little more expensive but for anyone listening out there it's still worth Going in and getting some shoes and protecting your feet because you're just going to end up paying for, you know, injuries or something else down the road.
1: (laughs) Yeah, and and kind of two points there. Number one, I always tell this patients, it's like a lot of people see their health as an expense. Like, oh, I go to physio Mm -hmm. as an expense or I buy good foods and your health is an investment. Right, like we're we're taking the wrong perspective. You're you're buying good food to make sure that your body functions well. It's not an expense. It's something that you spend money in to invest in the future snapshot of your body and and you know the mood that you have tomorrow and how tired you are tomorrow depends on the food that you eat today. So look at your health as an investment instead of an expense. And number two, you know telling people, oh, you should go get good shoes. People's perception of what a quote-unquote good shoe is, is so tainted by the footwear industry. You know, this billion, multi-billion dollar industry has done a very good job of convincing people, okay, a good shoe is a shoe with lots of cushioning, a shoe with lots of support, a shoe with all these technologies built into, you know, torsional rigidity or all these things that they market as a product benefit are actually bad for your feet. So, you know, one thing is, we're trying to change what people's perspective of a good shoe is, and a good shoe is as little shoe as possible to protect your foot. That's a good shoe, and it's very counter to what people think. You know, every time I talk to someone about footwear, it's like, "Ooh, that's totally opposite of what I've been told by foot experts, by doctors." And and I think that's you know, people are spending two hundred fifty bucks on shoes. Go to Sportcheck; you'll find a two hundred fifty dollars mm-hmm. 6 running shoe with a massive Jello sole. <laughs> that lets you run in a way that humans are not designed to run and people think that's a good shoe. So Mm -hmm. I think that's one thing that has to change is people's perspective on what is a good shoe.
0: And just branching off of that a little bit, what are some of the biggest challenges or health obstacles that might, might, or might not stem from the feet that you work with, with clients on a regular basis? Is there any kind of patterns that you see that are more common or is it very, you know, diverse? Is it all across the board?
1: Yeah, it's all patterns. And I could probably sitting itis is probably the main reason I see 95% of people in our clinic. And I think, you know, when we do our seminars, we talk about the foot, we talk about footwear in terms of foot specific dysfunction. But the bigger story and the bigger element that we spend time on is the hips, because, you know, your hips control your feet. And if your hips don't work, which, you know, if you sit for more than six hours in a day, I would argue if you sit for more than four hours in a day, and you're not doing anything to offset that you have problems at your hips. You have a hip dysfunction, whether you realize it or not. And it's one of those things where, you know, knee pain is typically a result of hip dysfunction. Low back pain, flat feet, result of hip dysfunction. And so it's all these things that when people have flat feet or caved in knees and they're having knee pain or grindy knees, the last thing they think of is, oh, maybe it's coming from my hips. And it's not taught in physio school. And it's not taught in medical school. Because we do courses for physicians, for physios, for trainers. It seems like it's really being this very missed element that's so crucial to effective treatment of of getting to the root cause. Like I looked up, you know, whenever I heard the word palliative, I used to always think of it in the context of -of end-of-life care, where someone's got terminal cancer, palliative care is make them comfortable without really trying to address the underlying cause because the cancer is far enough advanced that it's just make this person's end-of-life comfortable. When I looked up the definition of palliative, it basically said treating symptoms without addressing causes. So our whole frigging medical system is palliative. Like most physio is palliative. They treat symptoms. Your knee hurts? Okay, let's treat your knee. Let's treat your knee three times a week with ultrasound or these little dinky movements. And no one is actually cluing into, okay, your knees hurt because they're doing the job of your hips. Your hips don't work because you sit all day and you have an imbalance that doesn't even let you recruit all these important stabilizers and, and extensors because your body adapted to the shape of a chair. And I think this is like, this is a huge conversation that no one's having and and people rarely have this. And and you know, our sport medicine physicians in the clinic are, are cluing into this. And they're what they're finding is like everyone's got a hip dysfunction. Kids that come in that are 12 years old have a hip dysfunction. Why? Because they have a desk job. And when you lose the ability to stabilize your hips, your knees, your feet, your low back, they all pay the price. And if you tackle those areas in an isolated way, you never actually get results long term. And so that's really been the hip dysfunction in terms of poor mobility, poor stability. That's the biggest pattern that we see in terms of from the belly button down. The equivalent in the upper body is the upper back. It's insanely stiff. And then your shoulders and your neck pay the price. But uh, yeah, if, if there's one major pattern, it's people's hips don't move and they don't function like they're supposed to.
0: And I'm curious here, do you ever receive any backlash from other physios, or, or have you ever kind of felt like you're butting heads with some of the some of the methods or modalities that they're using? Or are you generally received with support? or?
1: Uh, definitely, way more support than backlash. But mm. uh, like, I welcome backlash. I, I welcome people that challenge <laughs> challenge me on how I'm thinking of things because, you know what. For, from time to time, you get someone that says something, you're like, geez, that's a, val- I never actually thought of it from that perspective. That's a valid argument. How do I, how do I challenge my way of thinking to see if that's a better way of thinking? And I'm not afraid of backlash. I, I, I think social media is a very weird medium of communication. I don't think it's a very, a very effective or I don't know. It's just very weird. Like there's no people get, as soon as someone gets a mo. if I'm having a debate with someone and you know, my favorite people that had debates with is someone that is on the polar opposite end of their perspective on health that is a health professional or a science-minded person where it's if they're rational they're talking they're using logic and they're using the scientific method i love speaking with those people and what we find usually is that we agree on way more things than we disagree on and when we disagree on something we kind of work it out and explain each other's perspective without getting emotional And those are constructive debates that never happens on social media. It's not a good medium for that kind of debate. I don't even read the comments on our post because I just, it would consume my life and it would, you know, and it's frustrating a lot of times. But yeah, there's a lot of backlash, you know, the footwear industry, any industry that's being threatened by the information that we're preaching. So the pedorthics and orthotic industry is a big one. And, you know, I I understand where they're coming from and their perspective is just different than mine, right? I'm looking at the foot as an interconnected part of the body that can change over time. They're looking at the foot as an isolated body part, not connected to the rest of the body that is in a fixed state that cannot change over time. They're biomechanists. And so I understand the perspective. I just think there's a better way of looking at the foot. And, you know, really, podorthists are in the best position to be preaching the information that I'm preaching. They're literally, they could, they should and could be doing what I'm doing, but no one's doing it. So I had to step in and, and take it on myself. You know, you see some pedorthists, like there's a pedorthist in Australia, it's called the barefoot podiatrist. And uh, when we're in Australia later this year, I'm going to sit down and chat with him and do a podcast. But, you know, he's taking that approach He and and you got to not be afraid to admit that you are wrong, right? I'm wrong every day. And I think if you are afraid to admit you're wrong and you're going to stick to a method of treatment or a way of preaching information that's old and antiquated and you're going to get left behind. So, my opinions change regularly. I get new facts. The facts are inconsistent with my old opinions. I form new opinions. And you, you never got to be afraid of being wrong. And I think that's a big thing that, you know, people become very tribal and, and, and they get almost tunnel vision of trying to say, OK, you're on that side. I'm on this side. I got to win this argument at all costs, even if I eliminate reason, rationality or, or anything. So I think we just need to, you know, we're on team human. Right. We're on team help we're on team help people. We should all be on that team. If you're not on that team, I don't really want to I don't care to have a discussion with you. So
0: And do you think that stems from people being afraid to change their their points of view or they attach to what they've learned and how they practice? Or they just don't, like you said, don't want to be wrong. Or like why don't you think, you know, we have the proof here of, you know, what you're doing and how it works, and there's still some resistance there when, like you said, they could be working you guys could all be working together. What do you think prevents that?
1: I think all everything that you mentioned. I think if there's, you know, anytime there's a major frame shift in the way of thinking or there's something that's very disruptive, you're going to get resistance. And if you're, if the way that you put food on your family's table is by making custom orthotics, you're probably going to be pissed when someone says orthotics aren't a good way of treating foot dysfunction. And I don't blame them, but you need to evolve. You need to look at the data you need to you need to look at all the information available and form opinions based on that and if that means stopping making orthotics and starting to treat people by helping them understand their feet better and understand how to restore their feet and and giving them information on footwear then that's what you need to do and i think it's yeah i think it's uh, people are afraid to be wrong they're afraid to change And there's a, you know, there's some big, big industries that are opposed to the information we're treating, like namely the footwear industry, right? Most of the shoes that the major brands make are not good for your feet. You would think that companies that their whole job is to make things that cover your feet. You would think they would understand how the foot functions, even at a cursory level, right? Like why does every running shoe ad? have a picture of someone heel striking when heel striking is the shittiest way to move when you're running and is not natural whatsoever. Mm. Like they just don't understand running mechanics and you think like there's billion dollar companies that put clearly zero money into researching and looking at how the foot functions and it's just it's it's very shocking to me. But taking a grassroots approach and giving people information, the change comes from bottom up instead of top down. That's the only thing that's the only difference, right? If if people understand that oh these shoes aren't good for my feet. Now that I have a better understanding of how my foot functions, I'm not going to buy that shoe. And so eventually they'll change, right? When demand swings to the way of people want better footwear, have a higher expectation for footwear, those companies will eventually start making the footwear. It's just kind of a catch 22 because if Nike comes out with a really good barefoot shoe and markets it as a healthy option, it kind of butchers every other shoe they make. And so I, I understand why it's not an attractive option, but You're going to have to do it eventually.
0: Can you kind of paint a picture of what your, maybe not your week, but maybe what your month looks like? So you're still practicing in clinic and you're traveling and you're doing seminars. How does this all kind of come together? It sounds like you're pretty busy. So how do you kind of juggle all of this? And then also just kind of a branch off of that. I know there's lots of people who are really interested in traveling for work and doing some of the things that you're doing. So maybe if you could break down some of the pros and cons of that.
1: I live in the office. So first of all, <laughs> <laughs> like my house, the, you know, 60%, my girlfriend hates it, but 60% of my house is the Foot Collective in terms of our head office. We store inventory and all that kind of stuff. So that lets me be able to work whenever I want, as much as I want. And, and it doesn't hurt that I intrinsically enjoy what I'm doing. And it's not that I enjoy it every day, but I enjoy it much more than I don't enjoy it. The traveling part. So yeah, I'm in clinic right now. My role in our Ottawa clinic is less treatment focused and more making sure that all, of the, all of the physios and our whole team is treating in the best way that we can, right? Like making the goal be mastery, be as good of a physio as you can, as effective as you can, which means constantly trying to challenge your thinking, improve your knowledge, whether that's reading, watching videos, doing courses, whatever it is, and I think that goal of excellence is, makes it so that there's unlimited amounts of work and making sure that the whole team has that same mindset. That's my bigger role. I'm there two days a week treating, but fairly quickly, I think that'll be limited even more because of the workload at TFC. And then, yeah, seminars are, I, I, I kind of schedule as many seminars as I try and be able to schedule as many seminars as, as I can based on the requests we're getting while still having a life and being healthy which, you know, there is a threshold when traveling is great. Traveling nonstop is not great. It kills, it kills your sleep. It kills your body. You know, there's some, I need to be able to train and be around people I love in order to be happy. And so there is a tipping point where if you're traveling too much, you can't do those things and it just doesn't become as enjoyable. So we got a pretty good schedule for the rest of 2018. It's fairly busy and, uh, it's yeah it's fun i mean i love i love traveling i love seeing the world i love speaking to people of all different cultures and you know we went to china in march we went to europe we went to portugal we're going to the uk scotland ireland in november going to australia end of this year we spend a good amount of time in california because there's a very similar mindset there and people are really hungry for this information and and, and the products so yeah i mean it doesn't obviously it doesn't have to be feat, but if if you like traveling I think people have to think of what they actually want to do, right? Like I ask people this question all the time and it's something that very few people can actually answer. And I don't expect them to be able to answer it right away. But the fact that they've never thought of it is what surprises me. And it's if you had enough money to live the way that you want to live, but you had to do something 30 hours a week, what would you do? And most people don't even have a clue what they would say. And when you do have that answer and maybe that changes, right? Maybe what you answer that with today Changes and is different in six months from now. Maybe you try that thing that you thought you loved, and when it turned into something you had to do, wasn't as enjoyable. And don't be afraid to change to change paths. Right? Like, you know, you can be. I had a story about a a guy was forty years old. He was a lawyer. He hated being a lawyer, so he became a physio. And at forty, that was a big frame shift. And for a lot of people, that would be very intimidating and scary. But he did it, and he's way happier now. And I think that you know. If you're going to have to do something for most of your waking hours, for most of your life, you may as well find something that you actually enjoy doing. And I think very few people enjoy that. And then if you can turn that into something that also has a travel element, where you can either work from abroad and, and still generate income and make a living, but do it while traveling or you know travel in order to deliver that service, you know whatever it is, find what you love first, then find a way to make money doing it. And the way you make money is deliver value to people right? If you go in thinking, oh, I'm going to make money doing this, or that's your primary motive, you're already on the wrong track. The right track is to figure out how to give people value. How do I give people something that they find value in, that they like or enjoy? What? And like I said, it can be a product, it can be a service, it can be anything. But find what you like, find a way to deliver value to other people doing what you like. And it, it really pays off. Like it really, And it's not easy, right? There's hard work and persistence and, you know, dedication. But if you pursue that and you're relentless in pursuing it because of how important finding that thing is, then it, um, you end up being much happier overall, I think. And it's like, we're only here for a short time, so you may as well make it so that it's enjoyable.
0: And what would you say is the best piece of business advice or personal advice that you have received in your journey?
1: Oh, that's a good question. Be persistent and don't be afraid to fail. And if you, you know, even the term failure, if you did not, if something didn't pan out the way you thought it was, uh, the way you thought it was going to, but you learned from it, it's no longer a failure. Failure is only a failure if you don't learn from it. And if you're always learning from the mistakes you make, you're never failing. You're just learning. And if you take that perspective, and I think just being persistent is the biggest thing that I see. Having the discipline to be persistent and not give up. And learn from your mistakes, I think, is the biggest thing that people just it's not taught in school, right? We're taught to absorb information in school. We're not taught how to think. We're not taught important elements like discipline and, you know, a work ethic and 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 just not backing down at the first obstacle you encounter because there's going to be obstacles plan on there being obstacles, because if you don't think there's going to be, it's not realistic. And look at obstacles as many challenges to They're miniature problems that you have to find a solution to. And you might not always have the perfect solution, but try a solution, give it a go. If it didn't work, take a different path, find a different solution. And eventually, if if your motivation is to give people value, if you're persistent enough, you will eventually get to where you want to be. And it's just, I think the most successful people are also the people that have failed the most. You know, Elon Musk, Jack Ma, these people have failed a lot, (laughs) a lot. I mean, like to where most people... 10% the way through would throw in the towel. But you just have to be, if it's important enough and finding something that you love to do and finding something to deliver people value and be of service to others is important. And if it's important enough, you just persevere. And that's it. So, and sometimes it means one thing that enabled me to really get the full collective going at the start was not having a huge amount of things that I had to pay for. Like I live fairly minimally. I don't drive a fancy car. I don't live in a big, fancy house. I don't buy a lot of stuff. I, I try and buy less things so that I have less things to pay for because it affords me more leisure time or the ability to do something I want to do, even if it means initially not making very much income, still be able to pay your personal overhead, you know, and that and that affords you the luxury of doing things that maybe don't make as much money. But if you have a huge mortgage to pay, budget car payments, a huge visa bill every month, It's very hard to step away from your job and and start doing something you love because you have bills to pay. And I think reduce your personal overhead has been something that for me made a huge difference. And getting away from the motivation of buying more things and going towards the motivation of being of service and helping other people is way more fulfilling, right? Like the joy I get out of buying a really fancy car is nowhere near the joy I get by doing a seminar and having every Every, you know, 30 people come up to me at the end and saying, thank you so much. This is, I think this is going to change my health. That's way more fulfilling. So I think you just, you have to put, base your happiness off of being of service to others instead of buying more things.
0: Mm, I agree.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. People know, but it's hard. People, I, I think at its core, people kind of have that feeling, but they, it's very hard to implement, right? Like the the machine of constantly Getting advertisements or being exposed to people that have more stuff than you is a very hard one to, to battle against. Um, social media definitely doesn't help that. And I think that's a part of, you know, when you see someone that has a social media account that looks like they have the perfect life and you try and, you know, compare yourself to them, one, a lot of times those people aren't very happy, even though it makes it look it makes them look really happy on social media. So not comparing yourself to others on there, I think is a is a big one for a lot of people.
0: And we do. We get very caught up in possessing things and working towards goals that are very materialistic. And yeah, I'm glad you said that because it's it's kind of like this trap that we we think that we're working towards and it ends up not being very fulfilling in the long run. Just to wrap up with the long questions, can you share one more thing, maybe a quote, a passage, a phrase, something that kind of guides you, maybe a mantra that you turn to or remind yourself of in difficult times to keep you going?
1: Like I said, the the biggest thing for me is you work for the people, I think is the biggest thing. Like, am am I doing this for my personal gain or am I doing this because this is what should be done? Like I started, one of the best books that I've ever read is The Daily Stoic. And it talks about controlling your mind is the biggest thing, right? Not getting, you know, not being hijacked by your emotions and recognizing when you have anger, fear, anxiety, and, and, you know, having a conversation with with yourself to say, okay, I recognize that right now I'm angry, but I know why I'm angry. And I know that I have control over these emotions so that I'm not yelling at someone that's, you know, unnecessarily. And just focusing on on yourself and, and controlling your mind is the biggest thing. Like the mind plays tricks on us all the time. And I think it's too easy to be on a roller coaster of emotions instead of learning, you know, what you need to do in order to control your emotions. Right. So I think just working on controlling your mind, it's time spent working on your body, whether that be movement or mobility or whatever it is, and time spent working on your mind, whether that's you know, spending 10 minutes thinking about nothing and, and, and just focusing on your breath or going out for a walk or just understanding why, why you can have these big emotional swings, you know, working on your body or your mind are always good investments. There's nothing more important than those two things. Right. So I think people people say, oh, I don't have time to work out. It's like, well, either you don't have time to work on your body or it eventually becomes a problem and you're forced to work on it. And that, that second path is usually involves much more pain much more discomfort. And so you may as well just embed it as a pattern because you have one body, it's yours forever. You may as well learn how to use it because if it fails you, it gives you big problems. I don't even know if I answered the question you asked, but you I think did. just <laughs> control your emotions. That's always a you know time well spent. And I think trying to work for the, just be good. <laughs>
0: that
1: people need to be nicer to each other. True. <laughs> in general, I think there's so many people that, yeah, I agree. They just, like I was in the grocery store yesterday and the conversation of the people in front of me was just shocking. It was like it was they just weren't nice to each other. I was like, mm-hmm. you guys don't know each other. One person was a cashier. One person was a customer. And it was just not a nice conversation. Like they were throwing these like little miniature insults at each other that were mm-hmm. like passive aggressive. And I was like, ah, this is so it hurts my heart to, to see this. We <laughs> can we, why can't we just be nice to each other?
0: It's the same I find like driving. I drive a lot for work. Yeah, uh, all over the city and people are so grumpy on the road. People are so ragey. They're always in a rush. They're always trying to cut in and go faster. And oh my gosh, I see it. Like it's, it's crazy. So I always wrap up with the following five questions that I'm just, or sentences rather, I'm just going to have you complete them. Okay. So the first one is I make self-health a priority by
1: making it a habit.
0: I maintain authenticity in my offerings by
1: surrounding myself with good, honest people that will tell me if I'm not.
0: (laughs) A mindfulness practice that keeps me grounded is training. I believe in the timing of my own opportunities and practice trust in this when.
1: When anytime I start to doubt myself, I just Mm -hmm. trust that I played a part in getting me there and that. Even if I don't make the right decision, I can always correct myself.
0: And the last one, I establish impactful connections with others and I grow my tribe by.
1: Always trying to be of service to others.
0: And to totally wrap up, based on the notion that the pursuit of yoginess is ultimately the pursuit of the self, can you share one final sentiment that your own pursuit has revealed to you and moved you in the direction of self-growth and success?
1: Always trying to be authentic and always trying to, like I said before, check my own emotions, be the observer, look at myself um, almost as look at myself as the observer and say, looking at this person, is this person doing what a good, authentic, ethical person should be doing? And sometimes you look at yourself as the observer and you're like, ooh, that person's that person's gone off track a little bit. And I think taking that perspective is really helpful to just self-correct and understand yourself better, right? Like we're always caught up of being inside our body. We never actually take a look from an external perspective at how we're acting with others, how we communicate, what we're doing. And so just being, just knowing that taking that perspective is something you need to do once in a while, just to make sure you're on the right path. And if you're not on the right path, you can, don't, don't beat yourself up over it. You know, everyone makes bad decisions. Everyone does things that maybe they're not proud of and, and and just learn from your mistakes. If you learn from a mistake, it's not a failure. It's just part of the journey of being a human being.
0: Amazing. And where can the listeners go to connect with you after the show?
1: Uh, yeah, so our main website platform is thefootcollective.com. That's our education-based site. tfc-shop.com is our product site where you can register for workshops, seminars, purchase products like the footwear, the accessories, balance beams. And on Instagram, we're at the Foot Collective. So those are our kind of primary platforms. Yeah. Thanks again for having me on. It was a great great chat.
0: It was super great. Thank you so much for taking this time to share all of your insights with us. No
1: worries. (laughs)
0: Thanks, Nick. And that wraps up another amazing episode with Nick St. Louis. Thank you guys so much for being here and for tuning in for all of the show notes or links to dive a little deeper into the content or to connect with Nick or myself, head on over to pursuitofyoginess.com where you can check out a breakdown of today's episode and maybe past episodes and their content. So be sure to check out Nick's social media, check out TFC, what they're up to. If you are interested in learning a little bit more, get yourself some barefoot shoes. I have mine. I love them. Anyone who follows me on social media is probably so annoyed with seeing my feet. Also get the toe spreaders (laughs) and reach out if you have any questions or comments, or if you like this content, or if you want different content and all that good stuff. So support the show, leave us a rating and review on iTunes, patreon.com slash J $1 goes a very long way. All right. Thank you guys so much for tuning in and stay tuned as we continue the pursuit of yoginess.